0: Hey, good news, everybody. Today is Equal Pay Day. The left declared it Equal Pay Day because that's the day, apparently, that women must work until this year to earn what a man earned the previous year. So what the left always says is that women earn 79 cents for every dollar earned by a man. This neglects the fact that women choose different jobs, take time off from works for a variety of reasons, work fewer hours, make different life decisions on average. Actually, when you remove all the confounding factors, Women earn just as much as men. In major cities, they actually earn more than men. But never mind. Women must always be treated as victims. That's because victimhood equals virtue. And women have to be granted cherished minority victimhood status. So, today, because it's Equal Pay Day, here are seven facts you should know about the mythical wage gap commemorated by this nonsensical and stupid Equal Pay Day. First, women, not a minority. This should be obvious. Women not only constitute a slight majority of Americans, They constitute a really, really heavy majority of voters. In every single presidential election since 1980, female voters have exceeded male voters. In 2012, 53% of voters were women, and they voted in significant margins for President Obama. So thanks for that, ladies. Appreciate it. Second, women, not a minority of college students. Since the 1970s, women have been more likely to graduate high school than men, as Jeff Guo of the Washington Post reports. Since the 1980s, women have graduated from college at higher rates than men. Guo says, quote, women today get the majority of college degrees in America. Doesn't matter what kind, associate, bachelor's, master's, doctoral, women beat men in every category. In 2009, 2010, women earned 57.4% of all bachelor's degrees. Women hold 58% of graduate school degrees as well. Okay. Third, single, childless women in major cities earn actually more than men. So according to James Chung of Reach Advisors, he analyzed the Census Bureau's American Community Survey, And he found that single, childless women earn more than their male counterparts of the same age in major cities across the United States. Here's what Time Magazine had to say. Quote, according to a new analysis of 2,000 communities by a market research firm in 147 out of 150 of the biggest cities in the the United States, the median full-time salaries of young women are 8% higher than those of the guys in their peer group. In two cities, Atlanta and Memphis, women are making 20% more. This squares with earlier research from Queens College in New York. They had suggested that this was happening in major metropolises, major metropolises. But the new study suggests the gap is actually bigger than they had previously thought. Young women in New York, L.A., San Diego, they're making 17 percent, 12 percent and 15 percent more than their male peers. And it holds true even in small areas like Raleigh, Durham and Charlotte, North Carolina, both 14 percent women exceeding men and Jacksonville, Florida, 6 percent Okay, fourth. Women don't bargain worse than men. So what you usually hear is that women are just bad at bargaining. Men are much more aggressive. Women are shyer because of ingrained sexism. That's nonsense. According to Harvard economics professor Claudia Golden, studies show that men and women earn the same amount right out of college. If men were better at bargaining, that discrepancy would show up immediately. Women also make different life decisions. And my wife is a doctor. She formally graduates from UCLA Medical School in June. She also took a year off when we had our first baby. That means that her earning was delayed by a full year. I, by contrast, took off a grand total of four days. That's not atypical. Golden says, quote, We see large differences in where men and women are in their job titles in a lot that occurs a year or two after a kid is born. It occurs for women and not for men. Men also work longer hours. Women value flexibility in career. Men value the kind of money they make, upward mobility. Men work longer hours than women as well. Sarah Ketterer of the Wall Street Journal, she says, quote, Full-time employment is technically defined as more than 35 hours. This raises an obvious problem. A simple side-by-side comparison of all men and women includes people who work 35 hours and people who work 45 hours. Men are significantly more likely than women to work longer hours, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. If we compare only people who work 40 hours a week, BLS data show that women then earn 90 cents for every dollar earned by men. And again, that data doesn't include how many more worked 45 hours as men then worked 45 hours as women, right? So it simply doesn't match up. And then, you know, so that, that's, finally, finally, men choose different professions. They just, we choose more risky professions. Ketterer says, research in 2013 by Anthony Carnival, who's a Georgetown University economist, shows women flock to college majors that lead to lower paying careers. Of the 10 lowest paying majors, like drama and theater arts and counseling psychology, only one theology and religious vocations is majority male. Conversely, of the 10 highest-paying majors, math and computer science, petroleum engineering, only one pharmacy sciences and administration is majority female. Eight of the remaining nine are more than 70% male. So, equal payday for women? It's every single day that women make the exact same choices as men. They just don't do that, really. The choices women currently make, they're not qualitatively better or worse than men's necessarily, but they do have some consequences. If you pretend that different decisions don't have disparate consequences, then you're a member of the left. They believe that equal results have to be guaranteed regardless of personal choice. But wishes do not shape reality. And if you quash Americans' business freedom, if you call in the government based on mythology, that's both counterproductive and immoral. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. You tend to demonize day day people who don't care about your feelings. All righty. so we have a lot to get to today. It's been a very busy news day. And uh, everything from Hillary Clinton telling racist jokes to Waka Flocka Flame speaking about the 1994 crime bills—we've so got it all for you. I don't even know who that person is. I mean, do you guys know who that is Waka Flocka Flame? I don't know who it is either, but apparently he's famous. I mean, he's on our our sheet of sound, so we'll get to all of that. But first, we have to say hello to our friends over at Hillsdale College. If you have been looking at President Obama in horror, if you look around and you say to yourself, "Why is it that this guy thinks that legislative and judicial and executive power are all united?" under the banner of the executive branch, then you know that most of our leaders don't understand what the presidency is for. It's one role in a vast government that has checks and balances. But if you don't know enough about that, if you really want to know how the government was supposed to work, what the presidency was supposed to do, why the president is not a king or a dictator, why electing Hillary Clinton is not electing your mom and Donald Trump is not your dad, if you need to know about that, Hillsdale College has a brand new course. The course is called Presidency and the Constitution. It's Hillsdale Dot edu slash ben. You get a, a lesson free every week right in your inbox, and it's for free again. And Hillsdale is the best. I mean, they are the best at this. They, they educate you in ways no one else will. It's a great place to send your kid for college, but it's great for you too, because they are, they are dedicated to educating Americans beyond their college years. This is not how the framers designed it, and it's important to understand what the framers meant if you actually want to fight for the Constitution. So go to hillsdale.edu slash ben. They have new courses coming out all the time, and this this one promises to be really great. Presidency and the Constitution at Hillsdale.edu/Ben. Okay, so today I want to start by talking a little bit about the fact that the 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 media are going to make sure that Hillary is the president of the United States. This is their their open goal. Now, a lot of people say, well, Donald Trump will be great because Trump will slap the media. He will slap the media, but the, the media have not begun to open up on him. And the proof, the the, the case in point of this couple of examples today. So, Hillary and Bill de Blasio, the, the communist moron mayor of New York, they were on stage together in New York, and they were on stage with, I guess, the star of Hamilton, the musical, which is, last I checked, an all-black musical about Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, uh, which is, you know, fine, whatever. It's not historically correct, but okay. Um, but in any case, they, they have the guy on stage, and, uh, and so Bill de Blasio and Hillary Clinton are doing a comedy bit. Now, if this sounds sort of like death warmed over, You're overestimating it by about 200 percent. Like the the comedic stylings of Bill de Blasio and Hillary Clinton, that's almost the seventh circle of hell. It's like six and a half circles of hell. And here is what it looked like. And you will see this is this is what Democrats do. They're real awkward. They're real awkward because they ain't funny and they are bound by their own social justice convention. So here's what it looked like. (laughs)
1: Yes. On Saturday, Clinton and New York mayor Bill de Blasio participated in a comedy show for charity. Take a look.
2: Thanks for the endorsement, Bill. Took you long enough.
3: Oh, shit. Oh
2: Sorry, Hillary. I was running on CP time.
1: That's not. I don't. I don't like jokes like that, Bill. That's not.
4: Cautious politician time. Oh, oh my
1: God! That's oh. right. They were making a joke about CP time, or. Colored people time. Did I just say that? Um, I did. Referring we... to the black stereo, the stereotype, the black people are always late, which I don't think they are. I've never heard that stereotype.
0: Okay, so, you know, so there's Hillary Clinton joking with Bill de Blasio about CP time, colored people time. I really look forward to their joint comedy tour in which they discuss how black people act at the movies. That'll, that'll be really solid, I think. So, so they do this, right? And let's, let's just put the shoe on the other foot for one single solitary moment. Imagine for one second that Ted Cruz told a joke about CP time, even though he is technically a brown human, right? He, he, he has Cuban ancestry. Let's say that he told, a, he, he told a joke about colored people time. End of the world. If Mitt Romney tells that joke, end of the world, right? Everybody goes nuts. And Hillary's standing there in her Chairman Mao yellow outfit, you know, just just talking with Bill de Blasio. And Bill de Blasio spits this out like it's no big deal. And he's allowed to do it because his wife is is black, I guess. But I, th- those rules are have always been very stupid to me. Like, I don't understand why are you allowed to tell the joke if your wife's black. So the idea is if you're having sex with a black chick, then you're allowed to make racial jokes now. It's weird. But in any case, they tell this joke. Media ignores it. No big deal. The headline from the media, really, the headline from the media was they told race-laced joke. Race-laced joke. So it's only race-laced or race-weighted or, or race-involved joke. When a Democrat does it, a Republican says the exact same thing End of the world, racist, racist, horrible racist. You can't say that. It's it's racist for me to say things like the black crime rate is higher than the white crime rate. That's racist, apparently, according to the left. But it's not racist if Hillary Clinton outright says black people are always late to things because they're black, right? Which is what Bill de Blasio is joking about there. No big deal. What instead was the left focused on? The left was focused on this conversation between Bill O'Reilly and Donald Trump. They traded each other milkshakes and then had this conversation with each other last night on Fox News about how Trump will overcome perceptions of racism. And this made some headlines.
1: Smiley brought in the fact that, that you were this uh, racial arsonist. That's what he used. And I said, hey look, I've known a guy for 30 years and I've never seen any of that and you gotta give me an example. And he really couldn't. But that's the perception in the African-American precincts that you're, you're a racial guy, you don't like them. Is there a strategy that you have or your staff has to negate that? Well, I don't think it is the perception,
2: actually, Bill. I have tremendous numbers of African-Americans yeah, but the that polls work say, for me. Say I'm going to bring not, jobs back to you. the country. I don't think it's the perception at all. I just don't. I think we're going to do fantastic with African-Americans well, what's your and with them, Hispanics. What's your,
1: what's your message to African-Americans? My message is I'm going to bring
0: Okay, so his message is that he's going to bring everything back. What Bill O'Reilly from here went on to talk about black people in the inner city having tattoos on their forehead and such. And he got in all sorts of hot water for doing that. Okay, but it's Bill O'Reilly. So why is that making more headlines than Hillary Clinton participating in openly racist jokes? Why is that? Why is that more of a headline? Like Bill O'Reilly's an opinion host. it doesn't It doesn't wash, but this is what the media are going to do. And another example of the double standard for the media is this. So I have put heavy scrutiny, and I think the media have, and rightly so, on the fact that Donald Trump has seemed to pander to the alt-right and to a certain group of white nationalists, the David Duke types. And one of the things that he says when he's not pandering to the to the openly racist group is is he says things that, that lead people to believe he's specifically trying to play to a blue collar white base. Right. This is just dis- dis- disenfranchised white voters in manufacturing areas that have gone dark uh, in in the Midwest and the mid and, and the Northeast. Right. That's the, those are those are going to be his people. And people have criticized this. They said he's making racial appeals to those folks. I agree that identity politics is nasty. When when Donald Trump you know, plays the identity politics card with white voters, or at least he goes soft on the alt-right, I don't like it. I don't like it. Hillary Clinton is way worse than Trump, way worse than Trump. And obviously I've been very critical of Trump, so that's saying a lot. Hillary Clinton is significantly worse than Trump when it comes to the race baiting. So yesterday we discussed at length the fact that Hillary Clinton has promoted all of these false ideas about how exactly – race works in the United States, right? She threw her husband under the bus on his crime reform bill from the 1990s. She just threw him right under the bus. No big deal for her. She just acts like that's no big deal. And that's really damaging, right? That's really damaging. The only reason she did it is, is for racist reasons. She is trying to appeal to a black audience by saying she's going to give them stuff. So here's the headline today in The Hill after she catered to the black audience by throwing her husband's legacy under the bus. Here is the headline from The Hill, quote, Black leaders expect Clinton to deliver. Black leaders expect Clinton to deliver. Okay, again, let's play the shoe on the other foot game here. Let's imagine there was a headline and it said, White leaders expect Trump to deliver. White leaders expect Trump to deliver. Wouldn't that set off just a few alarm bells? Wouldn't you think to yourself, well, wait a second, why is racial solidarity part of a presidential campaign? why, Why are races now campaigning for special help? I wasn't aware that melanin level in skin was correlated with your politics. It seems to me that it shouldn't be correlated really with anything. It seems the values should be correlated with values. But this is considered natural on the left. So, so for Trump to be a race baiter on the right, that's out of bounds. And I agree it's out of bounds. But if you do the same thing on the left, then all of a sudden it's considered totally okay. So the Hill ran all of these quotes from various black legislators saying things like this. Here's Emmanuel Cleaver from Missouri. He said he wants Hillary to sign anti-poverty measures. He says, she has said she will support that strongly, and we think we'll have a strong chance of getting that through. He said, Hillary embraced it quickly, which is extremely important to us. He said, no one is going to to be hesitant to be candid. She's trying to win the primary election. This may not be a good time for one particular group to demand things. Alcy Hastings of Florida said he wanted Hillary to fix inadequate jobs, inadequate housing, inadequate education among blacks. He said, I believe she gets it. I think she would spend some time in the communities. In other words, Hillary stands up. For black folks, and that and that is the reason, by the way, why Hillary gets away with racist jokes. It's okay. She's allowed to get away with racist jokes because she's catering to the black folks. She's catering to black people. Now again, if you reverse the races, you see how racist and horrifying this is. But to the left, black people are incapable of racism, and it's not racism to cater to blacks above other racial groups. This is why Barack Obama is just diverse. He's not a racist even though Barack Obama's administration has been overtly racist. And it is overtly racist to send the DOJ to crack down on police departments with no evidence of discrimination in the name of helping out specifically black communities. Right? That's racist, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's a serious problem. So Hillary does all this, and again, the reason that Hillary is getting away with all of this, the racist jokes and the fact that she can't speak two sentences without her programming going on the fritz, and the reason she gets away with this is because she says all the right thing according to the, the racist left. So, to, to kind of put the capper on this, to put the capper on this, Waka Flocka Flame has now spoken out. I, I assume this is his given name. I assume that his last name was Flame. He came out and his mother was like, Ah, I shall call you Waka Flocka. This shall be your name. For the rest of your life, all who see you shall call you Waka Flocka. Apparently he's a rapper, and he appeared with Larry Wilmore, on the nightly show with Larry Wilmore on Comedy Central, Larry Wilmore is technically the second least funny person on earth after Trevor Noah, and Waka Flocka Flame, that noted authority on racial matters and and crime, he uh, he says he says you'll see what he has to say about crime, and then you'll see why Hillary Clinton again is getting away with overtly racist appeals. Right. I think I, I think
1: Bill's choice is more complex than what he thought it was going to be. It was more long term. Mm-hmm. It affected people. I think it probably made time, It made sense for the time. Uh-huh. I think the You're laws, talking about
4: the actual crime yeah, the actual, right, right, Yeah, right, right.
1: I think laws is for time.
4: Mm-hmm. Now, is
1: that law effective now? No.
4: Mm-hmm. It hurts.
1: We've seen what happened through the years of time, but yeah. it's way more complex than what yeah. Bill thought. Technically, being real, I don't think Bill was looking at it that way. He was looking at right. I'm back down, I need to get these votes, I need to support these people, I need to help these people. Mm-hmm. But when the lady yelled Black Lives Matter, he should have he been an adult and not a madman. You think it was a
4: madman?
1: Nah, Bill was mad. I never seen Bill. Oh, you mean angry, right? Dave is mad, man. Like, yeah. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah.
0: Okay. So, Waka Flocka Flame, obviously, he says that he says that bills is bills is time bound, right? Laws is time bound. Grammar apparently is is also time bound. But in any case, he, you know, there he is saying that what Bill did a long time ago, that's what he did a long time ago. Now Hillary's basically disassociating from Bill, so it's totally fine. Right? As long as she keeps pandering to us, it is totally fine. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. So, you know, unfortunately, this is, this is how modern American politics operates. And this is one of the reasons why the alt-right has risen on the right, right? And, and it's a direct response. It's a, it's a, it's a regression to, to racism on the part of some people on the right. They're looking at Barack Obama's administration. They're looking at Hillary. They're looking at Bill. And they're saying, you guys get to be racist against white people. Why can't we be racist against black people? And the argument itself is flawed because the premise is that they get to be racist against white people. They don't, right? We should be saying nobody gets to be racist against anybody, but you can at least see the logic. You can at least see the logic, which is, okay, if you're race baiting against against white folks, why can't we stand up for white folks? And by the way, this is how the alt-right talks. This is how the, the, the people who back Trump on the extreme racist right, this is how they speak. They say, you know, we want – this is what David Duke says. He says, you know, black people should have their priorities and white people should have their priorities and we should have our space and they should have their space, right? That's what segregation was supposed to be about. It's, it's nasty when it comes from the left. It's nasty when it comes from the reactionary right as well. But Hillary is actually worse than Trump about this because Hillary's just open. Hillary just puts it right out there. Yep, I'm going to do racist crap now and it's going to appeal to the black community. Trump at least tries to, uh, tries to hide it occasionally. So Hillary's racism is actually worse than Trump's racism because the left's racism is actually more overt than than the racism of of a lot of the folks on the on the far right in politics like like Trump, who he's not really on the far right in any other respect, but he's a reactionary on this stuff. And okay, meanwhile, more fallout in Colorado, serious fallout in Colorado. Donald Trump continues to complain that everything is going wrong for him, that he his very good brain has failed him, his very good people have failed him, everybody is screwing him. Ryan's Priebus, he's the head of the RNC and, and has to have the worst job in politics at this point. I mean, if you're if you're Reince Priebus, you did not see this coming. This is you were just you were just sitting there on the train tracks, playing with the coins and and tossing rocks. And next thing you know, you look up and the Trump train is right upon you. And that's basically what happened to Ryan's Priebus. And he, he looks in these in these tapes. I mean, he looks in, in all of his video of Ryan's Priebus. He looks shell shocked. He looks like he has been hit by a large vehicle moving at high speed. Here's Reince Priebus talking about how Donald Trump's complaining that the rules in Colorado were, were fixed against him. Here's Reince Priebus saying, well, wait a second. This, this is always how things have been done in Colorado.
4: Well, I mean, it, it, it's the same process they used Greta four years ago. I mean, it's, it's it's no different. Some states use a primary system to bind delegates. Some states use a caucus system to bind delegates. And some states use a convention system to bind delegates. So I have a book in front of me that every candidate has state by state with the dates and what's happening and according to that process a delegate has a contest in the precincts back a month ago then the delegates that win that go and have a contest in the counties then the delegates that win that have a contest at the congressional district and then the delegates that win that go to a state convention and so this isn't something that just happens over one day this is an organizational process that candidates have to be involved with from the very beginning. And so it's no different than Wyoming over the weekend picked Bernie Sanders at a convention. So is, it's, is a a, it's, it's is the a, same thing that happened four years ago.
0: And, and he's right, of course, but he he's, he's, looks like he's trying to explain logic to a, to a chicken. Like he's trying to explain logic to, to Donald Trump, and Trump has no interest in logic. Trump, his response, which we'll get to in just a minute, Trump's response is much more telling than Priebus's. Priebus is sitting there going, "What? What the hell? These these rules were set a year ago. You knew about this. What are you talking about?" And Trump's sitting there going, "I don't care what rules. What rules? When? When have rules ever applied here? I mean, Trump is just Darth Vader in The Empire Strikes Back, and in this case, Ryan's Priebus is Lando Calrissian, and it just, this this deal just keeps getting worse all the time. And Trump just says, "Pray, I don't alter it further." Right. And that's 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 basically how that how this is going right now. Okay, so. Really quickly, Reagan.com is where you need to go. If you are if you are somebody who worries about your privacy, if you're concerned about the government snooping into your emails, which you should be, if you're concerned about corporations getting a hold of your email information for marketing purposes, which you should be, you need to go to Reagan.com. It's ReaganPrivacy.com to get your Reagan.com email address. You go to ReaganPrivacy.com. You get an email address. It's your name, like Ben Shapiro at Reagan.com. Hopefully that's not your name so you don't get my hate mail. But it should be your name at Reagan.com. And that does a couple of things. One, it protects all your information. Two, it links you with the greatest president of the twentieth century. So that's pretty cool. And uh and you get to to show off to all your friends, particularly your lefty friends. Reaganprivacy.com. If you go right now, then you get two months for free on that email service, and it is really, a really solid deal. Okay, so Ryan Priebus says, Donald, I don't know what you're complaining about. I don't understand why you're so upset. I don't get it. And Donald reacts as Donald always does. He says the fix is in. The fix is in. I'm being gypped. I am being destroyed. They're just schlonging me. They're they're taking away what I have rightly earned. And the entitlement complex is, is strong in this one. And here is Donald Trump explaining that the entire system has been rigged against him. It's it's been completely fixed.
3: So we have a rigged system. So in Colorado, they were going to vote. And you saw what's happened in Colorado. It's one of the big things. It's a fix because we thought we were having an election and a number of months ago they decided to do it by you know what right right Uh, you know they they said we'll do it by delegate they said they're going to do it by delegate oh isn't that nice and the delegates were all there all waiting and the head guy in fact one of them tweeted out today or said today by mistake and then they withdrew it something to the effect see never trump look what we did never trump because if i go to the voters of colorado we win colorado so it's a crooked crooked system you know we think about democracy and we think about our country let me tell you a little secret as far as our country is concerned we have a democracy but we've got to keep our democracy and we're going to do that
0: Okay, so we have to keep our democracy. Our democracy is being schlonged according to, according to Donald Trump. He, 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 they decided to to do this process through, you know what, which I don't know what that means. They decided to do the process through, you know what, according to to Donald Trump. And then for some reason, they decided eventually to do the process through delegates, like throw them in the in the in the wash, the delegates, I guess. But in any case, he says that he says that the entire system has been rigged. The entire system has been fixed. And then he adds on top of this. That he's going to burn the whole house down. If he doesn't get what he wants, then he's going to burn everything down. He warns the RNC, you screw with me, and you're screwing with the guys behind me with the pitchforks and the torches. Here he is. So
2: I watch Bernie. He wins, he wins. He keeps winning, winning, winning. And then I see he's got no chance. They always say he has no chance. Why doesn't he have a chance? Because the system is corrupt, and it's worse on the Republican side. Because I'm up millions of votes on Cruz. Millions. I don't mean like I'm up by... Two votes? I'm up millions and millions of votes. I'm up by hundreds and hundreds of delegates. I go to Louisiana, I win Louisiana, and I say, isn't that beautiful? I love the people, I send them a note, thank you very much, I love you, Louisiana. Then I find out that I get less delegates than Cruz because of some nonsense going on. No, I'm telling you, and I say this to the RNC, and I say it to the Republican Party. You're going to have a big problem, folks, because there are people that don't like what's going on. You know, they don't like what's going on. We've got a corrupt system. It's not right. We're supposed to be a democracy. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to be, you vote and the vote means something.
0: Okay, so I want to be very clear about something. He's wrong about something and he is, he's the case in point of why he is wrong about something. The founders did not like democracy. And yeah, the Founding Fathers feared democracy. They didn't like the idea of a democracy. They looked at the French Revolution. And they said, this is not a good thing, right? Well, what they, what they said is this, is, this is too much because the fact is that we don't trust the people to make all the decisions. They need to elect the best people to fight with each other and then make decisions. This is the difference between a republic and a democracy, right? So James Madison in Federalist Number 10, he says, in a pure democracy, quote, there is nothing to check the inducement to sacrifice the weaker party or the obnoxious individual. In a pure democracy, in other words, the majority just runs roughshod over the minority. John Adams said, remember, he said this about democracy. Remember, democracy never lasts long. It soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. There was never a democracy yet that did not commit suicide. And the reason for that is because democracies tend to cannibalize the people who live under the democracy. The majority cannibalizes the minority. The poor cannibalize the rich. The people who have political power cannibalize everybody else. John Marshall, who's the chief first chief justice of the Supreme Court, he said between a balanced republic and a democracy, the difference is like that between order and chaos. So when you hear Donald Trump say we don't have a democracy here," we don't have what they wanted was a democracy. No, the founders actually didn't want a democracy. The founders wanted a republic. The founders liked the idea that you would vote for delegates who you thought were good people who were going to vote for other people. We're going to vote for other people. And this was the whole purpose of having a Republican system. We could have referenda on every issue. We could. We could have direct democracy on every single issue. We don't. The reason is because we assume that most people are going to vote for their own self-interest. And we also assume that the people who they elect hopefully will have some interests that are better than those of the population at heart. If I vote for a congressperson, my personal interest may be in that congressman giving me money. But that congressman also has to answer to 100,000 other people. So he's not always going to give me what I want, right? That's the idea of a republic in short. But Trump doesn't understand the difference between the two. And a lot of people in the Republican Party seem not to understand the real difference between the two. And it's a, it's a very important distinction. So in this particular case, let's take Colorado, for example. The re, first of all, the reason that the founders feared the idea of a democracy was not merely the idea that the majority would overrule the minority. It was the idea that you would have a demagogic leader, you'd have a demagogic leader who would come along and manipulate the majority of the population who didn't pay close attention into backing whatever his play was, right? This is why the electoral college exists. People wonder why the electoral college exists. The electoral college exists because the idea was the founders distrusted the people so much that they said, instead of just directly electing the president by popular vote, instead of doing that, what we're gonna do instead is we're going to have delegates who come from each state, the electors, and if they don't like, who their state has put up there, they can go against those people. They can go against those people. Right, the fact is, so Madison suggests, quote, democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention, have ever been found incompatible with personal security or the rights of property, in general, have been as short in their lives as they have been violent in their deaths. A republic, by which I mean a government in which a scheme of representation takes place, opens a different prospect and promises to cure, promises the cure, for which we are seeking. So the founders were very clear on this. Right? They were very clear on the idea that we would have checks and balances and we'd have a Republican system. And this is carried over to how delegates are selected. Now, the difference between this and what the Democrats do, the Democrats have a bunch of people who are selected, not even by people who are elected. Right, They have the, the DNC, which is not really an elected body. And then they have the DNC select a bunch of higher echelon Democrats to be super delegates, and they just select them. Right? they just pick them out of thin air. Colorado, Delegates are elected. Those delegates elect more delegates. And those delegates finally send a delegation to the national convention to vote for somebody. There's nothing wrong with the idea of a republic, and Trump is railing against it. And the reason, again, that the founders feared the idea of direct democracy is because of people like Trump. They don't like the idea that you'd have a demagogue who stands up there and says, the entire system is rigged. Come with me, the majority of you, and let's go burn down that guy's house. Right? Let's go out there and let's just burn that guy. The rules don't apply in a democracy. All that matters is popular appeal. And so the founders actually feared folks like Trump. They feared the kind of populist demagogues like Donald Trump. And so when you hear people say, your voice doesn't matter if you elect people, that's like saying, well, my voice doesn't matter because I elect a congressperson as opposed to voting directly on, on the matters that the congressperson votes upon. That's not true. That's not true. That's not how the founders designed the system. I think they were wise. I think they were wise to do that. Because pure democracy doesn't work. Whoever is the most popular at the time is able to run roughshod over everybody else by inflaming the passions of the population as opposed to the slow, deliberative process of a republic. And that's what the RNC has attempted to set up. That doesn't mean they do it perfectly, but it's better than, it actually is better. And this is proof positive is is this particular election cycle. It is. I think Trump is a demagogue. I think Trump is terrible for the party. I think he's terrible for conservatism. If there are delegates who get elected and they believe that, then they have the capacity to stand up and say no. Edmund Burke wrote this, and he said this is one of the difference between a republic and a democracy, is that if the, if the republican figure thinks that the population is wrong, they're electing the man for his judgment, not just to be a carrier for their message. Right? He's, not just a, he's not just a vote in human form. He's a, he's a person who has biases and opinions, and that's the person that you're electing, and that's the beauty of living in a republic as opposed to a democracy. We elect people to make independent decisions we do, if, we, if we didn't do that, we might as well just vote on everything online. Okay, so, meanwhile, I just want to point something out. Donald Trump is not the only candidate to me who is unpalatable on the Republican side. John Kasich is absolutely unpalatable to me on the Republican side. Oh, God, no. Please, God. Not John Kasich. Yes, John Kasich. So, John Kasich was asked over, over the last couple of days, he was asked about the Supreme Court and same-sex marriage and signing into law some of these Religious Freedom Restoration Acts, what those are designed to do is there are states all over the country where regulatory bodies have now decided that private people must be forced by the force of law. They must be forced under penalty of fine or jailing. They must be forced to serve same-sex weddings, for example. They have to be forced into participation in sin. Here's my perspective on sin. Okay, I can think what you're doing is a sin. You don't have to care. Welcome to freedom. Also, you can think what I'm doing is a sin by not serving you. I don't have to care. Welcome to freedom, right? The nature of freedom is you don't have to like what I'm doing. I don't have to like what you're doing. If I don't owe you a duty and I don't, then you have no business telling me what to do, right? That's the, that's the basic perspective of freedom. John Kasich feels differently. What drives me nuts about John Kasich is that he is a tyrant in the guise of a, of a guy who's just apathetic. I just don't care. Watch what he says here. And what you'll notice is that he conflates government tyranny with, well, people really shouldn't care. It's just an apathy. Well, everybody should leave each other alone. Also, the government should force things. He holds these two positions simultaneously, here's Kasich.
1: I'm a a traditional marriage guy, okay? I believe a man and a woman, but I went home one day, I said, sweetie, we've been invited to a gay wedding, this was after the court. I said, what do you think? She said, well, I'm going, I don't know if you are or not. And we went, and look, here's the thing, we may disagree with something about people's lifestyles and all those kinds of things, we may disagree, but you know what? let's try to understand each other a little bit. What are we gonna do, write a law? I read about this thing they did in Mississippi where apparently you can deny somebody service because they're gay. What the hell are we doing in this country? I mean look, I I may not appreciate a certain lifestyle or even approve of it, but I can that doesn't mean I gotta go write a law and try to figure out how to have another wedge issue because one of the things that's happening on this issue itself is that there are politicians that are using it to get publicity, which ultimately guides us. We had a Supreme Court ruling, and you know what? Let's move on. Let's move on from where we are. It gets to be a tricky thing about how much you involve somebody against some deeply held belief. But most of the time, I think we can accommodate one another, don't you? I think, sweetie? We can accommodate one another, even when we can have some profound differences.
0: Okay, we can accommodate one another, except when I'm using the power of government to cram down on you a violation of your religion. So he's, he's couching this as, just be a nice guy. Just be a nice guy. That's not the issue. Okay, the government doesn't get to force you to be John Kasich's definition of a nice guy. He doesn't have the right to do that. I don't care what John Kasich thinks. Why in the world would I care what this man, who, as Ace of Spades put it, looks like his face went through the wash twice in my pocket? Why does he get to say that the government gets to cram down what a nice guy looks like. Why, do, why am I supposed to care? Why does he get to bring a gun to the party? You know, it's not his job to determine that I'm being mean. What the hell are we doing here? I don't care what you say, John Kasich. As a religious person, I care significantly more about what I believe God says. And that's my business. It's my business. But he couches this in the form of, I'm just trying to be a nice guy. You're not being a nice guy if you're forcing... If concessions are only coming from one side, right? If I have to tolerate, not only tolerate, cater to your behavior... Why don't you ever have to tolerate mine? Why don't you ever have to tolerate mine? Right. So, so the 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 rule now is that I have to serve the same sex wedding, but you don't have to observe my definition of sin, which is that you shouldn't participate in homosexual sex. Right. You don't have to. So, so that's only one side. I think that both sides should be equal in this respect. Okay. You don't have to care about my definition of sin. I don't have to care about your definition of not being a nice guy, John Kasich. And John Kasich, he's militantly, I'm a nice guy. Anybody who's militantly I'm a nice guy is actually a jerk. Anybody who spends their life going around telling you what a nice person they are is a jackass. Like, you've never met a person who goes around telling you what a nice person they are who turns out to be a nice person. It turns out they're trying to use you for something, right? The only people who tell you how nice they are are con men and people trying to sell you cars and dates who are trying to get you into bed. That's the only people who are ever telling you what nice human beings they are. Because normally you just sort of let that come out in your behavior. But John Kasich is militant in how nice he is. He's so nice that he's going to force you to be nice. It's really despicable. By the way, what he says there, the Supreme Court decided, let's move on. They also decided Roe v. Wade. Right? Does that mean we just move on on abortion? They also decided at one point that black people weren't people in Dred Scott. Should we have just moved on? The Supreme Court decided. They said in Plessy versus Ferguson that that segregation was totally fine under the Constitution. Should we have just moved on from that? They said in Skinner versus Oklahoma that states could sterilize the mentally ill, sterilize the mentally disabled, right? Sterilize them. Should we have just moved on from that? Was that, was that fine? They said that the, the, the federal government could imprison people without evidence of guilt, right, in Korematsu. Should we just have moved on? It's, it's so stupid. It's such a dumb argument, but it's convenient for him, so he says it anyway. John Kasich is unpalatable. He's an unpalatable human. He's an unpalatable candidate, and this is why every time I see him, it's, oh, God, no, please, God, no, not John Kasich, especially because he's militant in his belief that he's actually being a good religious man by suggesting that the government has the power to force you to violate your religion. It's an amazing thing. It's dangerous stuff. And that's the reason, by the way, why the left doesn't jump on him for citing God. Right? They'll call George W. Bush a theocrat. They'll call Ted Cruz a theocrat. They'll never call John Kasich a theocrat because he's citing the Bible badly to push leftism. It's really gross. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about the media circus that is now surrounding this. I talked earlier in the program. About the fact that the media are gonna back the Democrats all the way up to the top. They're gonna back the, like, Trump hasn't even seen it yet, how badly the, the media are gonna back the Democrats. Couple of pieces of evidence of this today. So, Chris Matthews, I'm Man who brushes out of the show. Chris Matthews, I'm MCC. Yeah, I'm Bernie Sanders' campaign manager. And, you know, it's been a few years since he had a thrill running up his leg. But now, now, he hasn't just moved up his leg. Now, from Bernie Sanders, he's not just feeling a thrill in his knee and, like, in his in his ankle and and running up his thigh, now it's finally reached his erogenous zones. Really, this is what he says. You ready, Chris Matthews? Go. Hillary Clinton's had experience on paper.
1: What do you mean? Well, look, she's Secretary of State. She was a Senator. Uh, she was First Lady of the uh, United States and of Arkansas. She has an incredibly impressive resume. There's no doubt about it. But when well, you I- when you go beyond it and you look at her support of things like the Iraq war, her support for disastrous trade deals, her support for DOMA, uh, her her efforts during the 2008 race uh, to keep the governor of of New York from giving driver's licenses to undocumented workers. When you look at these things over and over and over again, uh, there's more there than just the resume.
2: Well, there's an amazing number of things you mentioned. I have to agree with you and your candidate on as you know. You know my erogenous zone. You're hitting it. Let me just tell you this. The problem huh. is... Uh, the uh, That's that you condemnatory. Say... No, I, it isn't. Don't be sarcastic. Anyway, huh? it seems to me you've got a lot of good arguments, but you overstayed your case. First of all, your candidate, Senator Sanders, who you've been working, with, working for for so many years, basically said, I'm not questioning her qualifications. It sounds like you
0: are. Okay, so he no, continues along ju- those lines, but... but... You're hitting all of his erogenous zones. Kathleen, my wife, who works over at the hotel, she works at the Hilton. Let me tell you, she knows where my erogenous zones are. So do you, Bernie Sanders, you big sexy man. Jeff Weaver, your campaign manager, hitting all my erogenous zones. I mean, let me tell you, Barack Obama hit some of them, but you, my friend, you're hitting the inside of the elbow. All my erogenous zones you're grabbing. It's amazing. It's just unbelievable. I love Michael Isikoff. What do you think about my erogenous zones? Chris Matthews, he, he, you know, this is, this is how in the tank they are for the left, right? Chris Matthews is now talking openly about how Bernie Sanders hits his erogenous zones, which is the, the most horrifying image that any of you have ever had in your mind, I think. Just know that Chris Matthews and Joy Behar both think that, that Bernie Sanders hits erogenous zones. <clears throat> yeah, not, not, not pleasant imagery here. So after, after we're done with this, go get some Ajax and wash your brain out. Okay, but th- that wasn't the only media worship for the left yesterday. Nicole Wallace on The View. Which really should just be called "Chattering Nabobs of Stupidity." It's just—I think it'd be a better show title. Maybe it's not as pithy, I guess. "Chattering Nabobs of Stupidity." <laughs> CNS. I, I, yeah, it's Nicole Wallace is supposed to be the conservative on the View, which means that she is slightly to the right of Whoopi Goldberg, right? So, 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 meaning she sits on her right. So Nicole Wallace is is talking about Hillary Clinton, who went on an anti-gun rant. And here's Nicole Wallace, and she, she too is getting a thrill up her leg. Everybody's got thrills up their legs. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what happened. Is it contagious? Is it some sort of Zika virus? What's going on? Nicole Wallace, tell us.
2: He frequently says, well, you know, I represent Vermont. It's a small, rural state. We have no gun laws. Here's what I want you to know. Most of the guns that are used in crimes and violence and killings in New York come from out of state and the state that has the highest per capita number of those guns that end up committing crimes in new york come from vermont
3: i think hillary's uh, you, you take the the answers those two clips right there i think that's hillary clinton at her best
1: yeah and a lot of people you know i i um we watch her speeches on the nights of the primaries live and sometimes they sound, uh, you know, that's an intense environment. Those are huge crowds. I think that she's so policy focused that she's so effective and powerful in these settings. She seems to have sort of, I don't know, she's pulled back a little bit. And that that attack on on the uh, guns is so, you know, I, I got chills. This is the third time I've heard it. And and um, you know, I think when she makes an argument like that in sort of a more serious
0: tone, it's deadly. Well, OK, so, you know, it's just thrilling. It's thr- the media is thrilled. Nicole Wallace, a Republican, is thrilled. By the way, what Hillary Clinton is saying is not true. What she's actually saying is not true. Here's what The Washington Post reports today. There were 7,686 guns recovered and traced to New York in 2014, according to the Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms Bureau. The source state was identified in about 4,600 of those traces, 30 percent were from within the state. In 2013 and 2014, the states where the most number of -of out-of-state crime guns originated were Virginia, Pennsylvania, Florida, and Georgia. The state with the most number of guns per 100,000 people was Vermont. But 1% of crime guns whose sources were identified in 2014 originated from Vermont because there are two people in Vermont. So in other words, if there were 55 guns, and that's what it was, 55 guns in New York, 55 guns came from Vermont. A total, grand total, 55 guns came from Vermont. She says that most of the guns used in crime in New York came from Vermont. That is a lie. She what it means is the most guns per capita. Completely meaningless statistic. Because again, 55 guns coming from like eight people in Vermont, it's going to be per capita high, but that, that doesn't solve for the problem that you had 8,000 guns seized in New York and 55 of them came from Vermont. So she's lying, but it thrills Nicole Wallace anyway. She thought, it's a thrill that, uh, if you're not feeling the thrill for Hillary, I mean, first of all, the number of members of the media who have felt a thrill for Hillary Their combined thrill is significantly higher than any thrill Bill ever felt for Hillary. I mean, way higher than any of that. But it doesn't matter. The media are really, really in the tank for Hillary. And I'm pointing this out for Sanders, for Hillary. I'm pointing this out because all you folks who think that Trump is just going to go out there and fight the media to a standstill, they have not opened up their guns yet. They have not done a single thing. Meanwhile, Trump's own surrogates are making a a botch of things. Ben Carson, who should have disappeared from the national stage uh, about the time of Iowa, he's still hanging around. And he is legitimately he has become legitimately the worst campaign surrogate in human history. So Ken, Ben Carson, he's hanging around and he's going to tell you how honorable he thinks Donald Trump is, really. But then he says this, and it gets kind a little bit a little bit awkward.
3: In terms of who can potentially win, I think that would be Donald Trump.
0: Is that and what drives when
3: I look you at the yeah. Well, I look at the consequences of us not winning. It's too horrible to even think
0: about. I, like I said, I, I
1: can't vote for him. I think he's. Uh, I don't think he's. I think he's a bad man. Um, I can't vote for Hillary. I think she's a bad woman. Uh, obviously, simplifying it. Uh, but, but, but,
3: who isn't? but so I. Who, uh, who is? Who
1: I, among us isn't? No, all of us are flawed. But when somebody makes fun of a, a disabled person on stage for laughs, I will never put the codes to the, the nuclear codes in that man's
3: hands. I recognize. That not voting is the same as voting for the other side, and I can't do that to my grandchildren. For, for me, it's about the children and the grandchildren. If it were just me, I would be completely where Krista is.
0: Uh-huh. I, would,
3: well, I would say, "Hey, you know, I, I got this. I can deal with it." But for them,
0: I, I can't. So, in other words, if it, if it were just if it were just Ben Carson, then he would know that that Donald Trump is a bad man and a terrible person, and I would never vote for him. But since I have to decide between him and Hillary. Then I guess I'll just have to do that because I, I really have no other choice for for my grandchildren. That's Trump's surrogate. Okay, <laughs> that guy that guy endorsed Trump. It's not just Dennis Prager on the radio saying that same precise thing, right? That he thinks that Trump is a, is a crap show. But he has to choose between Trump and not Trump, and and the not Trump is Hillary. Yeah, that which again is an argument. But he's but. If you've got a campaign surrogate out there trying to claim that you are, like, the guy that people should enthusiastically vote for, then the best you can do is, yeah, well, we're all sinners. Sure, he may resemble Satan in many ways, and he may, in fact, imitate Satan's actions and, and thoughts, but I really believe that, you know, I wouldn't vote for Satan except in this one circumstance. Like, that's that's weak tea, Donald. So that's the best you can do, very weak tea. Okay, time for some things that I like. It's been a while. I don't think I've ever broken out the Ben Carson impersonation, but, but it's, it's, not, it's not bad. All right, so things I like and things I don't like. So uh, let's do a little bit of, of classical music today since I've given you lots and lots of books lately, and you're never going to catch up. Let's be real. So let's, we'll give you a little bit of classical music. The Brahms Piano Quintet, one of my very, very favorite pieces of music. It's a, it's a magnificent piece. Uh, my favorite piece of chamber music, and, uh, and here's what it sounds like. <laughs> So uh, check that out if you, if you enjoy chamber music. And if you don't, then make yourself intelligent and then enjoy chamber music. So that's that's my recommendation uh, for the day. By the way, I have to say I am very excited. I just got um, at a there's an estate sale. Not excited the person died, but I am excited the person sold the piano. Uh, I just got a grand piano for my house, which is, which is pretty cool. So that's exciting, which is great because my dad plays piano. I play violin. We haven't had a chance to practice together for probably a couple of years. So he's going to start coming over and we'll start practicing together because – as I've said before on the program, we're having a boy in, in just a few weeks. My wife and I are having a boy with the help of God in just a few weeks and with the help of the doctors. Uh, and, uh, and one of the things that we've been doing since literally I was a baby, when we had my circumcision ceremony, my Brie Mila, when I was eight days old, my dad and one of his friends played the first movement of the Brahms Violin Sonata in D Major. When I was bar mitzvah, my dad and I played the first movement of the Brahms Violin Sonata in D major. When I was married, we played the Brahms Violin Sonata first movement in D major. And at my son's Brit Milah, we're going to do that. So we have to, we have to you know, get that in shape a little bit. I'm, I, I haven't practiced in a while, so it's a little bit rusty. Okay, other things that I like. So from the sublime to the ridiculous, Steve Kornacki is a host on MSNBC. And every so often you see people who really don't know how the green screen works. And that's basically what happens here. He is trying to draw the United States, and things go wildly wrong.
1: And that's the key. I think if we could put this up, let me see if I can get this here. Look, Look at map, the geez. states that are going to come. I, I didn't <laughs> actually work there. Here it's, it, it's good. It's a blank slate. All right. You well, you, we you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to draw a map of the United <laughs> right. States here. This is oh, my be, a rude it, version of a map. Don't United do it. States. Now here's the thing. How's this one, Allie? This is no. a, little, yeah. a little homemade. So we got we got New York coming up next, but it that's my version of New York. Sure, that's sure. not at all what New York looks like. <laughs> big states, though, to close out this process. You got New Jersey, that's on the last day. You got Indiana yep. in early May. You got California at the end of it. So you got I think you got three big states coming up here.
0: And if you want to talk about who has the, the sort of the, the just, moral uh,
1: authority to make the argument
0: I have the <laughs> momentum at the end of this, the convention, who, in, there's one folks if you're not subscribing you're really missing out or maybe you're, maybe you're the big winner today if you didn't subscribe
4: and then pick up uh, i wrote 172 we we want to talk about that number because that is another really important figure, right we can just stop it right here
0: some people should not draw on whiteboards this is just um it, it it went wildly wrong in there And folks if you subscribe then you're probably laughing right now if you don't subscribe you don't know why people are laughing that's why you should subscribe that's all i'll say about that so his picture of the United States did not end up looking like the United States. Let's just say that. Okay, time for some things that, I, some things that. Oh, well, actually, one more thing that I like. So, so Jimmy Kimmel did this uh, new spoof of Captain America: Civil War, except it stars Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. And here's what it looked like.
2: This summer, an all-American idealist faces off against a diabolical billionaire.
1: The American dream is an American nightmare. The American
2: dream is dead. Big money buys the elections. I'm really rich. I'll show you that in a second. Our campaign does not have a super PAC. I'm in for about $35 million right now. Can I finish, please? Excuse me. Excuse, Excuse me. me. I'm talking. Bing, bing, bong, bong, bing, bing, bing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: America Civil War. Can somebody attack me, please? <laughs> <laughs> At the very end, Ben Carson shows up as as Spider Man. Uh, the, the whole thing is not very funny until Hillary shows up as Scarlet Witch. That's that's pretty funny. So that's uh, so that that was that was pretty funny. Okay, a couple of things that I hate, and then I promise that I will be done, so that our producers can actually can actually live the rest of their lives today. Okay, so first of all, I don't know whether to hate this or love this. Rachel Dolezal, you remember Rachel Dolezal. Rachel Dolezal was the white chick who said that she was a black chick so that she could make her way in the racial world. She ended up as a local NAACP leader by curling her hair and wearing heavy makeup, basically. And she was an artist. I think she went to Howard University uh, and there decided that she was indeed black. She says she identifies as black even though both her parents are white and she grew up in a white household. And I just have one question, same question I've had since the very beginning. Why is Rachel Dolezal so terrible, but Caitlyn Jenner is so grand? Why is it that Rachel Dolezal says she's black, and Caitlyn Jenner says that he's a woman? There's significantly more biology to prove that Caitlyn Jenner is a is a man than to prove that Rachel Dolezal is white. Like really, there's a, there's a lot more because presumably you go back far enough, everybody comes from Africa, or our common ancestor <laughs> was in Africa, so uh, our mitochondrial DNA would suggest that there's more African in Rachel Dolezal than there is female in in Caitlyn Jenner, but. You know, she's she's now writing a book. That's why she's back in the news. So she's writing a book. I, I assume it can. I don't know if it has a title yet. Did she did she give it a title? No, there's no title yet. It must be something called Black Like Me, maybe. I don't know. It's I it's maybe she'll she'll have the forward written by Robert Downey Jr. from Tropic Thunder. It really could it could be it could be anything. So that's that's very exciting. Uh, in other bad news today, Sarah Palin is going to do a debate with Bill Nye on climate change. This makes me want to put my face through a cheese grater. First of all, Bill Nye debating anybody is like, eh. And then you add on top of that Sarah Palin, and she's going to be debating science. Sarah Palin is going to be—we de- cannot do better than Sarah Palin? Like, that was the best shot? Okay, we got to debate this guy Bill Nye, right? He's a, he, not not a great scientist, but at least knows something about science. Who do we got? Who do we got on our slate here? Well, you know, we got on our slate—you know, there, there's like some—there's Roy Spencer, who's like a uh, physicist— down at University of Alabama, we got that guy. We could talk to him. we got a couple of people from, from, the, from the Bush White House who are actually scientists who work on this sort of issue. we got people from the Heartland Institute we could talk to. No, let's get, the, let's get Sarah Palin. Let's get her. Let's do that. Let's get Sarah Palin, who's busy literally doing freestyle rap during her speeches for Donald Trump. Let's do that. I can't imagine how this will go wrong in any way. And this, of course, is part and parcel of the left's goal, which is to turn all of us into idiots, right? To, to, to make us all look stupid. That's the, that's the goal here, which is why they asked Palin in the first place. And Palin should have known better than this. But th- this is all to make us look dumb. And the reason they want to make us look dumb is because now there's a new drive on to actually, to actually try and fire people or prosecute people who are climate change, what they call climate change deniers. So according to the Daily Signal today, a federal science agency is seriously interested in reviewing tens of millions in taxpayer-funded grants awarded to a university professor who wants President Obama to prosecute those who don't share the administration's view that mankind is changing the world's climate. So that apparently there's a, there's a guy named Jagadish Shuklu, and he manages federal grant money. And Shuklu has, uh, has apparently been working closely with college professors who want to prosecute various, various climate change deniers. Which is, which is pretty amazing. So th- this, is, this is the new thing. He was double dipping in state funds in violation of, of university policy. But the bottom line is that there's, there's, there's a new attempt to crack down on climate change deniers and, and suggest that, that they must be prosecuted by the federal government. There's an article today uh, uh, along those lines. And the U.S. Attorney General had said this, actually. That they've, they've, the U.S. Attorney General of the Department of Justice had said that people might be prosecuted. Attorney General Loretta Lynch said this back in March. She said, the matter has been discussed. We have received information about it and have referred it to the FBI to consider whether or not it meets the criteria for which we would take action on it. Why would you prosecute people who don't believe in man-made climate change? Because they say that it's just like when the tobacco industry put out false advertising about how tobacco was healthy. So you could prosecute the tobacco industry for misleading. Except that nobody is dying from climate change, folks. It ain't happening. Nobody is smoking the smog. Nobody's going out there breathing real deep, and now you're dead. Okay, it turns out that that oxygen in the air, you still need it to survive. So that's pretty crazy. Okay, final thing that I hate for today. I know, I know. Don't worry. We're finishing up. Julianne Moore is, uh, Julianne Moore is an actress, and uh, she's not been in a lot of good movies lately. I, I used to really think that Julianne Moore is a good actress, but now she's gone full lefty route, which means she only acts in films where she is basically a feminist or a lesbian or both. Right? Those, are, those are the m- m- films that Julianne Moore does now. Well, now she's writing letters for, for Lena Dunham's Lenny, which is the name of Lena, Lena Dunham's self-titled newsletter. And her, her latest column there is about when gun control got personal for me, Julianne Moore, when it got personal for her. So she talks about how in December 2012, she had her 10-year-old daughter with her on a movie set, and she had started her winter break, and she heard about Sandy Hook. And she finally and – and, and, and she tried to keep the news away from her daughter, and finally her daughter found out about it. And she says, quote, at that moment, it felt ridiculous to me and irresponsible as a parent and as a citizen that I was not doing something to prevent gun violence. Simply keeping the news away from my child was putting my head in the sand. I wasn't helping her or anyone else by doing that. So I decided to learn more, and this is what I learned. And then it's a bunch of talking points about how gun control is the best, and gun control would have stopped Sandy Hook. Nonsense. Absolute crap. She could have taken away from that, by the way. Mentally ill people should not be out in the world where they can grab guns and kill people, right? Severely mentally ill people like Adam Lanza shouldn't be out in the world where they can do all of this. But she didn't learn any of that. Instead, she learned what made her feel good because she can now tell all her friends that she's an anti-gun activist. She doesn't know anything about guns. She doesn't know anything about gun violence. She doesn't care about the vast majority of gun violence in the United States, which unfortunately takes place in black communities where blacks are killing other blacks and gangs and, yes, disproportionately affecting people underage. She doesn't, you know, it, 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 that spectacular gun violence episode in Sandy Hook made her believe that she now had to take action and grab everybody's gun. I'm glad she feels better about herself, but she's also guarded by armed security every time she's on a movie set. And that makes things very, very comfortable for her. Makes things very, very comfortable for her. Okay, folks. So tomorrow we will be back. And, uh, and a reminder for folks, if you want to send in mails with mailbag, we get lots and lots of mail. Sorry, Lindsay. Going to mention the email address again. Lindsay will respond to you or try to. The email address is bshapiro at dailywire.com, and this week, as we said last week, this week, the special number, if you are a subscriber, if you want to get to the top of the mail list, is this number. Yes, indeed. So if you write with that number in your subject line, then you will be given top priority as a subscriber, which is why you should subscribe, also so that you can watch people from MSNBC draw male genitalia uh, on on national television. That's That's the really important part. We'll be back tomorrow, and have yourself a nice rest of the day, and Try not to break everything while I'm gone. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First.